The fundamental question that these parables ask is this. Is it possible for someone who has fallen away from the faith, a baptized child, to be brought to repentance? And the answer is yes, a thousand times yes. It has to be yes. Or I'm damned. And so are you. Pastor Peter Bender speaking at the 2023 Issues Etc. Making the Case Conference. But if we as earthly parents love our children in spite of the fact that they rebel and maybe wander from home, how much more does the Father's love for us in Christ Jesus never cease? That is the birthright that you and I have been given in our baptism. That is our consolation. You can watch and listen to Pastor Peter Bender's teaching, Making the Case for a Dying Man's Consolation, and all of the presentations from this year's conference for a contribution of $300. It's available via on-demand video stream or podcast. Learn more at issuesetc.org. Gerhard him, Jesus, thy boundless love to me. When Jesus tells parables, it's not always about his love for us. He tells parables for a number of reasons. But one does stand out as this undeserved act of pure mercy and love. And that's the parable of the Good Samaritan. And it's a gospel reading for this coming Sunday, according to the one year lectionary. Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. Thanks for tuning us in live on this Tuesday afternoon, the 29th of August. Pastor Peter Bender joins us. He is pastor of Peace Lutheran Church in Sussex, Wisconsin, and director of the Concordia Catechetical Academy. Peter, welcome back. Good to be with you, Todd, as always. You say there's a twofold theme for this coming Sunday. What is that? Well, these Sundays after Trinity, I like to kind of title them according to the gospel for the day, and this is the Sunday of the Good Samaritan. And in that gospel reading, the first theme I would highlight is that Jesus is our good Samaritan. He comes to us in our need, though we were his enemies. He rescues us from sin and death by the law's condemnation that has come against us. And he rescues us by going to the cross on our behalf. So in this, he binds our wounds. He pours in the sweet wine and oil of his forgiveness and mercy. He puts us into the ark of the church. He saves us. He is our good Samaritan. So that's the first theme. And that emphasizes faith in Christ that justifies, that saves. And then the second part flows from this. Faith in Christ as our Savior is active in love for the neighbor, including the enemy. So first part, Jesus is our good Samaritan. He is the one who is neighbor to us by his suffering and death on our behalf. And then receiving that gift of love in Jesus is what transforms us. And this faith in Christ is active in our love for the neighbor, for other sinners who are just like us in need of our Savior's mercy and loving kindness. And so that leads us into the choice for the hymn of the day, 
which is hymn 683 in LSB, Jesus, Thy Boundless Love to Me. It's a Paul Gerhardt hymn. And it extols how the love of Christ is the source of the greatest comfort for the Christian. And also, the love of Christ is that which inspires and motivates the Christian in love for others. So, we love him because he first loved us, and we love others because we have been recipients of that love. And this hymn extols that reception of Christ's love and our affection for him who has loved us. It enables us to love others and to bear up under the cross of affliction. So it is just a lovely text. Jesus, thy boundless love to me, no thought can reach, no tongue declare. Unite my thankful heart to thee, and reign without a rival there. Thine holy, thine alone I am, be thou alone my constant flame. And as I like to say quite often, as Christians, we worship a person. We're disciples of a person. And that person is the person of the Son of God, our Lord Jesus Christ, who loved us and who shed his blood for us. So the hymn goes on, O grant that nothing in my soul may dwell but thy pure love alone. O may thy love possess me whole, my joy, my treasure, and my crown. All coldness from my heart remove, my every act, word, thought be love. And so in that prayer of Paul Gerhardt, Todd, you see that he grapples with the ever-present reality, even as a Christian, of his unbelieving nature, the old Adam, which is characterized by a self-centered lovelessness. And so he prays against that, that the love of Jesus might possess him wholly and transform him by Jesus' love into someone who loves even as Jesus does. So this love unwearied I pursue and dauntlessly to thee aspire. O may thy love my hope renew, burn in my soul like heavenly fire. And day and night he all my care to guard this sacred treasure there. In suffering be thy love my peace, in weakness be thy love my power. And when the storms of life shall cease, O Jesus, in that final hour, be thou my rod and staff and guide, and draw me safely to thy side. So the ending of this great hymn of the day speaks about the Christian's pilgrimage, which is lived by faith in the love of God in Christ and in hope of the life to come where we will ever be with the Lord. So I think under these two themes, Jesus as our good Samaritan and then faith in Christ is active in love. Our catechism connections for the day, I think we can focus especially on the second article explanation from the creed that Jesus has redeemed me, a lost and condemned sinner with his holy precious blood and with his innocent suffering and death that I may be his own. And then the entire table of duties you know, that sort of captures the second half, faith in Christ is active in love. So the entire table of duties is a description of what one's faith active in love looks like in the lives of Christians, husbands and wives and children and parents and so forth. And everyone, we love not on the basis of the merit of those we love, but on the basis of God's undeserved love for us. So the table of duties concludes to everyone, quoting Romans 13, the commandments are summed up in this one rule, love your neighbor as yourself.
Then 1 Timothy 2.1, I urge that requests, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for everyone. So that ending of the table of duties in those passages is sort of like a description of the Christian who, receiving the love of God in Christ, becomes then good Samaritan to all that he encounters in his life, even as Jesus was good Samaritan for us. How does the Collect for the Day read, and what would you draw out from it? Almighty and everlasting God, give us an increase of faith, hope, and charity, and that we may obtain what you have promised. Make us love what you have commanded. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. So the petition in this collect, Todd, is based upon 1 Corinthians 13, where St. Paul talks about love or charity. It's patient, it is kind, and long-suffering, and so forth. And then he says, but now abide faith, hope, and love, or charity, these three, but the greatest of these is charity. The love of charity is God's love, which is further defined in terms of grace, undeserved merit, and unmerited mercy. So give us an increase of faith, hope, and charity. Faith, hope, and charity are all related to and in important ways connected to faith in Christ. Faith, of course, is to trust in Christ and in the promise of the gospel that we do not see, but which is no less real. Hope is born of that faith in the gospel, that faith in Christ. It is an attribute of faith, if you will. It is the longing for Christ and the fullness of life in him that we know now by faith, which we will experience in all its fullness in the life to come. Charity, or self-giving sacrificial love, is how faith and hope then manifests itself now in our earthly pilgrimage, in our sojourn toward the day of the resurrection, in our veil of tears, but charity is also that which will characterize life in Christ and in communion with one another for all eternity. That's why St. Paul says, but now abide faith, hope, and love, these three, but the greatest of these is love, or that charity which does not pass away. We will abide in the love of God in an eternal communion with him and with one another that will never end. So, in the collect, that we may obtain what you have promised in the gospel to which faith clings, make us love what you have commanded. And I think that language from the collect begs the question, what has God commanded? And I would answer it this way, that we believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and that we love one another as he has loved us. Now, having said that, one might also then ask the question, is this collect in any way teaching a salvation by our works of love? By no means. Instead, it holds up the biblical teaching of the close connection between faith in Christ and love for God and the neighbor that flows from this faith. In other words, it is because we believe in Jesus that we love what Jesus has commanded. The inverse of this, of course, is true. If we do not love what Christ has commanded, it is because we do not love him and we do not believe in him. 
And that's really what Paul Gerhardt was highlighting in the hymn of the day. So this collect really then anticipates the parable of the Good Samaritan and also Paul's discussion in Galatians, which is the epistle for the day, on the relationship between the law and faith and how the law serves to bring about faith in Christ. So finally, the collect really focuses upon that which is the focus for a disciple of Jesus, namely faith and love for him and for his word by which we are saved and by which we learn to live faithfully in love for others. What's the intro for the coming Sunday? The intro draws together a number of verses and verse segments from Psalm 74. And it begins this way. Have regard for the covenant, O Lord. Let not the downtrodden turn back in shame. Arise, O God, defend your cause. Do not forget the clamor of your foes. O God, why do you cast us off forever? Why does your anger smoke against the sheep of your pasture? Remember your congregation which you have purchased of old, which you have redeemed to be the tribe of your heritage. Remember Mount Zion where you have dwelt. Do not forget the life of your poor forever. Let the poor and needy praise your name. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. So, a couple of things to mention on this intro for the day. First, God's gracious treatment of his children, his sheep, who are, in fact, so often beset with struggles, with their own weaknesses, the attacks of their enemies, with sadness, with timidity, and spiritual impoverishment, God's gracious treatment of his children is based upon him regarding his covenant or his promise made to us. Second, in these struggles, we so often cry out, Oh God, why do you cast us off forever? Why? You know, how long? Why does your anger smoke against the sheep of your pasture? Is there no relief from these struggles? But thirdly, in the end, we rest in his covenant, in his promise of redemption in Christ. As the intro, it says, remember your congregation, which you have purchased of old, which you have redeemed to be the tribe of your heritage. Remember Mount Zion, a reference to the church, where you have dwelt. And finally, do not forget the life of your poor forever. Let the poor and the needy praise your name. And in that language, I think, is anticipated the gospel for the day, the Good Samaritan's ministry to the poor man who is beaten up and left for dead on the side of the road. That Good Samaritan remembered him and did everything for him to save his life. Great setup for the gospel for the day and meditation on all of these propers. Pastor Peter Bender is our guest. We're looking forward to Sunday morning, the 13th Sunday after Trinity. According to the one-year lectionary, we'll get into the Alleluia verse that leads us to the Gospel reading in Luke 10 next. Was the reformer Martin Luther innovating or in error when he added the word alone to Romans 3.28, for we hold that one is justified by faith alone apart from works of the law? 
Find out in Pastor Will Whedon's column in the latest Issues Etc. Journal. In the Wittenberg Trail feature, Dr. Donna Harrison details her journey to confessional Lutheranism from Catholicism, Scientism, Mysticism, and Evangelicalism. The free online Issues Etc. Journal. Just click the red Journal subscription button at issuesetc.org. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for your service. Our church loves and is grateful for those that serve our country. Operation Barnabas, part of Ministry to the Armed Forces, equips you to reach out to veterans in your community to bring Christ to those that served. Call Ministry to the Armed Forces at 314-996-1337 or email lcmschaps at lcms.org. Thank you for your service. Thank you. God bless our military. Grace, Faith, Scripture, and Christ Alone. You're listening to Issues Etc. Epiphany Lutheran Church in Door, Michigan, gathers to receive our Lord's gifts in Word, Baptism, and Supper every Sunday morning at 9.15, Bible study at 11. Join us at 4219 Park Lane in Door, or visit us on the web, epiphanydoor.org. Christ-centered, cross-focused, historic, confessional, liturgical, Epiphany Lutheran Church in Door, Michigan. EpiphanyDoor.org. 616-681-0791. Is your child struggling at school? Are you thinking about homeschooling? Would you like help knowing what to teach and how to teach it? The Simply Classical Curriculum from Memoria Press provides an enriching, step-by-step classical Christian education for students who have autism, learning or behavioral difficulties, ADHD, and more. You'll find everything you need, including daily lesson plans to guide your way. Learn more at simplyclassical.com. Use LPR23 to save on your order. Simplyclassical.com. Our baptism protects us and is a constant reminder to God that we have already been washed and made righteous. We trust in God and come to the font knowing that he'll wash away our sins and that our trust is not in vain. It also means that we've been recreated and restored to our original righteousness in the eyes of God. We have been given the image of God once more. That's from a new Bible study called Baptismal River, studying the sacrament throughout Scripture from Concordia Publishing House. It's our Issues Etc. Book of the Month for August. You can find out more about it at our website, issuesetc.org, or call Concordia Publishing House and order The Baptismal River, 1-800-325-3040, 1-800-325-3040. It's the Issues Etc. Book of the Month for August. We're looking forward to Sunday morning. According to the one-year lectionary, Pastor Peter Bender of the Concordia Catechetical Academy is our guest. So, Peter, where do we find the Alleluia verse for this coming Sunday? The Alleluia verse is from Psalm 88, verse 1. Alleluia, O Lord, God of my salvation. I cry out day and night before you. Alleluia. So, Todd, here I think the verse captures the earnest cry of the poor Christian who relies upon Christ. I think this uh, oft-repeated phrase of Luther that we're beggars one and all, that's for sure, that really characterizes so much of our prayer life, this complete and utter and total dependence upon our Lord Jesus. And the verse captures it. As we begin to hear the gospel for the day, we should think of Jesus as our good Samaritan and ourselves as the beaten up poor man 
who had been left for dead upon the side of the road. How did we come to be in this condition? Well, the law has crushed us. We are wounded and left for dead. Satan's accusations, his arrows and slings come upon us. And had the Samaritan, a man whom we would have previously regarded as our enemy, had this Samaritan not come to our aid, we would have perished. And that's true of us. You know, we would have perished in our sins had Christ not come to our aid. And there's nothing we could do. We were helpless on the side of the road, naked, bleeding, dying, wounded. So the fact that Jesus came to us in love, though we had no love for him, is at the heart of the gospel. And it is that which saves us from our sin. It is that which creates faith. And it is that which brings forth the fruit of love in us who have been brought to faith to love our neighbors and our enemies even as Jesus has loved us. So we see that twofold theme here anticipated in the verse for the day. So the parable of the Good Samaritan is first about Christ's love for us and then about how faith in Christ is active in our love for the neighbor and especially the enemy. So get us into that parable in the gospel for this coming Sunday, Luke 10, verses 23 through 37. Yes, and the parable is set up, Todd, by this uh, discussion with a lawyer, and that is really important material to understand what the parable is really teaching. So it begins, it's Luke 10, 23 through 37. Turning to the disciples, Jesus said privately. So this word is directed to the disciples who already have come to believe in him. Quote, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings desired to see what you see, and did not see it, and to hear what you hear, and did not hear it. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers, who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal, and brought him to an inn, and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, The one who showed him mercy. 
And Jesus said to him, You go and do likewise. This is the Gospel of the Lord. So as I said at the outset, Todd, the context of the parable is important. This discussion that Jesus has with the lawyer and prior to that, the words that he says privately to the disciples, namely, blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings desire to see what you see and did not see it and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. What did the disciples see? that many prophets and kings desire to see. I submit to you it is the miracle of God's grace in the ministry of Jesus to sinners. And you think about this in the Gospels. This man receives sinners and eats with them. The shepherd who rejoices to find one lost sheep. The father who kills the fatted calf for his prodigal son, who kisses him, covers him with a new robe, places the ring of sonship around his finger, and says, Let us rejoice and be merry, for my son was dead, he's alive again, he was lost and is found. Or the prayer of Jesus from the cross, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Or Jesus' absolution for the penitent thief, Today you will be with me in paradise. They long to see those things, those acts of mercy and grace and loving kindness for undeserving sinners that were so prevalent in Jesus' ministry. And all of those examples that I cited are from the gospel according to St. Luke, where this parable of the prodigal son is found. So I would submit to you that the disciples were seeing incarnate grace, incarnate mercy in the ministry of Jesus to sinners. So that brings us then to the lawyer. What is the faith of the lawyer who put Jesus to the test, Luke records? Very simply, the lawyer's faith was, I will save myself by my efforts. For the lawyer, what must I do that I may inherit, testified that my doing of the law is for my personal benefit, for what would accrue to me. Therefore, his motivations, even in the doing of what at least outwardly would look to be obedience to the law, were motivations that were entirely self-serving in nature. What must I do that I may inherit? Now, could the man articulate what the law taught? Yes, he could. And he rightly quoted the Old Testament. And Jesus would emphasize it also in the gospel. Love for God with all one's heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love for the neighbor as oneself, that is the whole of the law. But yet the lawyer, who knew that, did not understand or believe in what that law of love meant. The love demanded in the law is not for one's own benefit, but for the benefit of the neighbor. Second table of the law and for the glory of God as the only source of what is good and true, first table of the law. And so what does Jesus say to him? Do this, you'll live. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, you'll live. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love with no thought of what is going to accrue to your own benefit. Love God even if it costs you your life. Love your neighbor in place of yourself. If we could love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and if we could love our neighbor more than ourselves, then we would live. But this would mean that we had no sin. So our situation is actually 
helpless apart from Christ. If you really understand what the law demands, and this is picked up by Paul in the epistle from Galatians 3, that we are all kept by the law until the faith in Christ should be revealed in our hearts. In other words, the law keeps us in bondage, unable to save ourselves apart from Christ. So Jesus alone loves the Father with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength, even though it cost him his life. Jesus alone loves us who were his enemies and who hated him. And he does so by sacrificing himself first out of love for the Father and then out of love for us in his death upon the cross. So this love is not for the benefit that accrues to Jesus, but for the honor of his Father, the source of all good, and then for the salvation of us who are his enemies. The self-justifying question of the lawyer, you know, who is my neighbor, shows that he is so far from any notion of the kind of love that we see in Jesus, that that is really what defines the nature of being a sinner, someone who is curved in, in curvatus as turned in upon himself entirely. So who is my neighbor? It sets up Jesus telling the parable of the Good Samaritan. The man beaten by robbers and left half dead on the side of the road is a vivid picture of us as sinners, beaten, stripped naked by the law of God, unable to save ourselves. Unless we're rescued, we will die in our sins. The characters in this parable are significant, the priest and the Levite. They both go by on the other side of the road. They ignore the need of the sinner. It just reminds me of the high priest when Judas brought back the 30 pieces of silver I betrayed innocent blood, and the priests do not act like priests. They do not act with compassion for this poor, miserable sinner, Judas Iscariot. Instead, they say to him, what is that to us? You see to it. They passed by, if you will, on the other side of the road. Priests were in an office, which was an office wherein they were called to care for sinners, offering sacrifices for sinners, interceding in prayer for sinners, teaching sinners. Levites also had offices in which they were to own no property of their own, but they were to be in service at the tabernacle and the temple for the benefit of the congregation. But both of these men passed by on the other side of the road, ignoring the true need and thinking only of themselves. It is the lone Samaritan who would have been viewed by the Jew who had fallen on the side of the road as his sworn enemy, but it is the Samaritan who is the character who not only rescues the beaten man, but does everything for him, putting him on his own animal, pouring in oil and wine for his wounds, paying for his full restoration to health and strength. He puts him in the inn. He tells the innkeeper, whatever more he needs, I will repay. What a great illustration of how Jesus has done all for us, for our life and for our salvation, to rescue us from sin, death, and the power of the devil. And he provides for us in his holy church the blessed word and sacraments that keep us safe and secure in his grace and that teach us the ways of his love. So the Good Samaritan is first a picture of Jesus and what Jesus has done for us, what many prophets and kings longed to see.
He has come to our aid, redeemed us with his blood, placed us in the inn of the church, taken care of us. Like the good Samaritan, Jesus pays the entirety of our debt. In Jesus, in the figure of the good Samaritan, we see then what characterizes love for God and love for the neighbor. The lawyer may have been able to articulate that from the law, but he did not understand it because the only way you can really understand what the law of love demands is through the gospel. Jesus is the one who manifests what it is to love God with all one's heart, soul, mind, and strength, and what it is to love the neighbor as oneself. So when Jesus calls the lawyer to do likewise, it is really a call to repentance and faith in the mercy of God in Christ that will manifest itself in love to the neighbor. It is a call to the lawyer to forsake every and all attempts to justify himself and to live by faith in the love of God and out of that love to live in mercy toward the neighbor. And we've talked about the hymn of the day, Jesus, thy boundless love to me, and it's a great hymn. Another hymn that comes to mind for this particular Sunday is the great hymn by Paul Speritus. It's LSB 555, Salvation Unto Us Has Come. And this twofold theme that we've been accenting for the 13th Sunday after Trinity, I think is well articulated in stanzas eight and nine of that hymn, Salvation Unto Us Has Come. And as such, it also anticipates the epistle from Galatians 3. But it reads like this, the law reveals the guilt of sin and makes us conscience-stricken. But then the gospel enters in the sinful soul to quicken. Come to the cross, trust Christ and live. The law no peace can ever give, no comfort and no blessing. Faith clings to Jesus' cross alone and rests in him unceasing. And by its fruits true faith is known with love and hope increasing. For faith alone can justify, works serve our neighbor, and supply the proof that faith is living. So here we see, faith trusts in Jesus Christ alone, and faith alone justifies. Works serve the neighbor and supply the proof or the evidence that faith in Jesus and the love of God in Christ is indeed living in the Christian. Pastor Peter Bender is our guest. We are looking forward to Sunday morning according to the one-year lectionary. We will be in the Old Testament reading in Second Chronicles after the break. How do the global flood, circumcision, and the Israelites wandering in the wilderness foreshadow the baptismal flood in Christ? Find out in the Issues Etc. Book of the Month for August, The Baptismal River, Studying the Sacrament Throughout Scripture. This new Bible study is published by Concordia Publishing House, their phone number 1-800-325-3040, or find out more about The Baptismal River at issuesetc.org. The Baptismal River, Studying the Sacrament Throughout Scripture. Job saw the city as a wasteland, as if devoid of God, witnessing injustice to the poor by the corrupt, lawlessness of criminals, trafficking of children, blatant immorality, thinking God could not see wicked deeds done in the dark of night. 
Yet God never abandoned Job, nor his city, groaning for mercy. God is working through the living Redeemer, hands etched with salvation, pointing to the resurrection to come. Join us at lcms.org slash citymission to seek peace and shine the light in the city. Many educational institutions are governed by the whims of culture and are increasingly hostile to the Word of God. In contrast, Faith Lutheran School in Plano, Texas, provides classical Lutheran education rooted in God's Word for students preschool through grade 12. Simply put, we equip students to stand firm in the faith through solid education focused on wisdom and virtue. We offer in-person instruction as well as live online classes for remote learning. To learn more, visit flsplano.org, flsplano.org. Theology for Blue Collar, White Collar, and Clerical Collar. You're listening to Issues Etc. When Martin Luther preached the dedication for the Torgau Church, he asserted that nothing else happened in this house but that our dear Lord speak to us and we respond in prayer, thanksgiving, and praise. Issues Etc. guest Dr. John Pless. The same could be said of Concordia Theological Seminary. This is a place where our Lord speaks to us through his word, and we respond in joyful and thankful confession. We therefore invite you to visit our campus where the word of Christ dwells among us richly. Learn more about studying for the vocations of pastor or deaconess at ctsfw.edu or call 1-800-481-2155. Forming Servants in Jesus Christ to Teach the Faithful, Reach the Lost, and Care for All. Concordia Theological Seminary, Fort Wayne, Indiana. ctsfw.edu or 1-800-481-2155. Welcome back. We are looking forward to Sunday morning according to the one-year lectionary. Pastor Peter Bender of the Concordia Catechetical Academy is our guest. I'm Todd Wilkin. This is Issues Etc. We come to the Old Testament reading now, Second Chronicles 28, Peter. Yeah, this is a little-known Old Testament reading, and it bears some explanation, but let's go into the text. The men of Israel took captive 200,000 of their relatives, women, sons, and daughters. They also took much spoil from them and brought the spoil to Samaria. But a prophet of the Lord was there, whose name was Obed. And he went out to meet the army that came to Samaria, and said to them, Behold, because the Lord, the God of your fathers, was angry with Judah, he gave them into your hand. But you have killed them in a rage that has reached up to heaven. And now you intend to subjugate the people of Judah and Jerusalem, male and female, as your slaves. Have you not sins of your own against the Lord your God? Now hear me, and send back the captives from your relatives whom you have taken, for the fierce wrath of the Lord is upon you. Certain chiefs also, of the men of Ephraim, Azariah, the son of Johanan, Berechiah, the son of Meshuhulahath, Jehezekiah, the son of Shalom, and Amasa, the son of Hadlai, stood up against those who were coming from the war and said to them, You shall not bring the captives in here, for you propose to bring upon us guilt against the Lord, in addition to our present sins and guilt. 
for our guilt is already great, and there is fierce wrath against Israel. So the armed men left the captives and the spoil before the princes and all the assembly. And the men who have been mentioned by name rose and took the captives, and with the spoil they clothed all who were naked among them. They clothed them, gave them sandals, provided them with food and drink, and anointed them. And carrying all the feeble among them on donkeys, they brought them to their kinsfolk at Jericho, the city of Palms. Then they returned to Samaria. This is the word of the Lord. Yes, we don't hear this Old Testament reading very often. It takes place during the period of the divided kingdom. At this time, as this Old Testament reading begins, it should be noted that both the northern kingdom of Israel, located in Samaria, and the southern kingdom of Judah were both filled with corruption, idolatry, and apostasy from the Lord. But in this reading, God had used the northern kingdom of Israel to visit his judgment upon their countrymen in the southern kingdom of Judah. This did not mean that the north had no sins, far from it. But what happened? You can see in this reading, the north had no love for their southern countrymen in Judah whom they had conquered. The north in self-righteousness and pride intended to enslave the 200,000 of their relatives from the south. So you could here bring in the language of the gospel for the day, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. There was no such love for God or the neighbor in them in the slightest. So the prophet Obed was sent by the Lord to call the north to repentance for enslaving their countrymen. And this call to repentance resulted in the 200,000 captives being clothed and provided for by the spoils that had come from their own defeat. And they were sent back to the south, to Jericho, the city of palm trees. You see the idea of sort of like the restoration to new life. And so the reference to the city of Jericho and how they were clothed and the poor and the lame and the maimed were put on donkeys and cared for and sent back home. So you see how this connection to the parable of the Good Samaritan, how ironic it is that we are clothed and fed, as it were, with the spoils that Jesus won for us in the battle that he endured on our behalf because of our own sin and the judgment of the law upon us. We deserve to be stripped and left naked and made slaves, but we are not. He sets us free. The captives are set free in the great liberty of the gospel, and we are clothed and we are nourished and we are fed and we are cared for. So you're able to contrast in this Old Testament reading the opposite of Jesus' love for his Father and love for us and what he does for us as our good Samaritan and what such lovelessness, the lack of love for the Lord and the lack of love for the neighbor, how that manifests itself in what the northern children of Israel intended to do to their southern countrymen. What are the gradual and psalm? The gradual is from Psalm 77. You are the God who works wonders. You have made known your might among the peoples. 
You with your arm redeemed your people, the children of Jacob and Joseph. When we think of God's people, we should remember the history always of God's people and how often they were rebels and backsliders. And we should identify with them when we contemplate our own weaknesses. And yet when we remember that history, we remember that the Lord redeemed his people. He was faithful to his covenant. The Lord redeemed his people, the children of Jacob and Joseph. Not one of us, not the Old Testament church, not the New Testament church, the New Testament believer, not one of us can boast that we have a right to salvation, as the lawyer in the gospel reading for the day would have boasted. No, on the contrary, we are dependent upon God coming to our aid and rescuing us from our own foolishness. If the gradual isn't used, the psalm is from Psalm 32. Verse 2 serves as the antiphon and really sets up the theme for this psalm. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. So justification by faith alone in Christ alone is the theme of this psalm, and it is highlighted by that verse 2 that serves as the antiphon. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. I acknowledge my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Therefore let every one who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters they shall not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. Psalm 32 is so lovely. That psalm really could be the prayer for each one of us, beaten by robbers, left for dead on the side of the road, having been thoroughly crushed and destroyed by the condemnation and judgment of the law. It presents to us a warning against stubborn self-righteousness and pride. And it captures within it this internal struggle or battle within the Christian between his old nature, the old Adam, and his new nature, the new man. Your hand was heavy upon me. I acknowledge my sin to you. I did not cover my iniquity. Even though my strength was dried up as by the heat of summer, I said, I will confess my transgressions, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. And let everyone who is godly, the godly one is not the one who has no sin. The godly one is the one who in contrition and repentance turns to the Lord and cries out to him for mercy. So that's what I mean by it, capturing this internal struggle. And it warns us against being like a mule, stubborn, 
And this is a Psalm of David that reflects what he experienced internally from the prophet Nathan's ministry to him, calling him to repentance. And so it's a wonderful prayer of how God leads us to contrition and faith to confess our sins and receive the renewal in his forgiveness and love. I'm Todd Wilkin. You're connected to Issues Etc. We're looking forward to Sunday morning according to the one-year lectionary with Pastor Peter Bender. If you appreciate Pastor Bender's faithful teaching, be sure to order video and audio recordings of this year's Issues Etc. Making the Case Conference. It includes Pastor Bender's presentation, Making the Case for a Dying Man's Consolation, and presentations by Lutheran Church of Missouri Synod President Matt Harrison, journalist Mark and Molly Hemingway, Kyle Mann of the Babylon Bee, San Francisco Archbishop Salvatore Cordelion, and Pastor Will Whedon of The Word of the Lord Endures Forever. For a contribution of $300 by Labor Day, we'll send you a link, username, and password to recordings of the 2023 Issues Etc. Making the Case Conference. You can order by giving us a call, 618-223-8385, or online at issuesetc.org. We'll be in Galatians 3, the epistle reading for this coming Sunday, next. If you were unable to attend this year's Making the Case conference, we have good news for you. We've produced a recording of each of the speaker's presentations, all of the worship services, and the hymn sing. You can watch an on-demand video stream or download a podcast for a contribution of $300 to Issues Etc. by Labor Day. Learn more at issuesetc.org or make your $300 check payable to Issues Etc. and send it to Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. The light of God's word in a world of darkness. You're listening to Issues Etc. St. Peter encourages us always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. That is where we get the Greek word for apologetics, that is to defend the Christian faith. The September issue of The Lutheran Witness takes up the topics of apologetics and archaeology and discusses both of them in detail with articles from Paul Meyer, Sarah Rinsel, Mark Meal, and David Adams. To pick up your copy, visit cph.org witness or visit our website witness.lcms.org to learn more. The Lutheran Witness, interpreting the world from a Lutheran perspective. Not everyone is comfortable with new technology. Dial A Podcast gives all generations of your congregation an easy way to hear your sermons or even devotionals and Bible studies. Once you've completed a simple one-time setup, we take care of the rest. All your congregants have to do is dial the number from any phone to listen to your latest podcast, all at no additional cost to them. Dial A Podcast. Extend the reach of your sermons. Get started at dialapodcast.com now. Welcome back. I'm Todd Wilkin. We're looking forward to Sunday morning. According to the one-year lectionary, Pastor Peter Bender of the Concordia Catechetical Academy is our guest. Peter, the epistle reading is Galatians 3, 15 through 22. Take us into it. And St. Paul here, Todd, is talking about the relationship of law and gospel and law to coming to contrition and faith in Christ. 
And he draws upon the Old Testament by saying, to give a human example, brothers, even with a man-made covenant, no one annuls it or adds to it once it has been ratified. Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say, and to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one, and to your offspring, who is Christ. This is what I mean. The law, which came 430 years afterward, does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God, so as to make the promise void. For if the inheritance comes by the law, it no longer comes by promise, but God gave it to Abraham by a promise. Why then the law? It was added because of transgressions, until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made, and it was put in place through angels by an intermediary. Now an intermediary implies more than one, but God is one. Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not. For if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would have been by the law. But the scripture imprisoned everything under sin, so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. This is the word of the Lord. So let me summarize what Paul is getting at here. God's promises of salvation refer to Christ, Abraham's offspring or seed. They are fulfilled in him. God keeps his promises, whether anyone believes or not. What was the purpose of the law? The bondage to sin and the struggle with sin does not nullify God's word, God's promise, but the law was given to point us to our need for the offspring of Abraham, who is the fulfillment of the promise. When it says the law came 430 years after, it's referring to after Israel was enslaved in Egypt. So that 430 years of slavery did not mean that the promise made to Abraham and to his offspring, namely Christ, was null and void. Not at all. The inheritance of salvation and redemption from sin comes on the basis of the promise of the gospel and not through the sinner's obedience to the law. So what does the law do? The law crushes self-righteousness and pride. The law confines us all to the judgment of the law until we are brought to faith in Christ. So we can't escape the law's judgment until by a miracle of the Holy Spirit, we are brought to faith in Christ. Righteousness is not attained by our obedience to the law. It is attained through faith in Christ, the offspring of Abraham. So the lawyer's faith in the gospel reading for the day, you know, he believed in the righteousness that comes by the law and he did not attain it. But by faith in Jesus Christ, our good Samaritan, who has fulfilled the law for us, we are declared righteous. And Jesus is that ultimate mediator between God and the sinner. How would you summarize this coming Sunday in terms of law and gospel? Well, we've talked a lot about law and gospel throughout, haven't we? And let me just summarize by making three points under each. The law must address, number one, the self-righteous, egocentric unbelief of the lawyer in all of us. However it manifests itself, and the pastor knowing his congregation must do this. Number two, the law must address any notion of salvation by our own works. Faith looks outside of itself to Christ. 
Number three, the law must address the rejection of our neighbor as being unworthy of God's love. None of us are worthy of God's love, but God's love in Christ is directed to the enemy, to those who hated him, to the most unworthy sinner. So the law must address any rejection of that teaching. The gospel, on the other hand, and the unique gospel for the day, I would say this. Number one, Jesus came to me in love and mercy to die for my sin, to redeem me even though I was his enemy. And so the preacher wants to say, Jesus came for you, Todd, in love and mercy, to die for your sin, to redeem you, even though you were bruised and broken and ruined and left for dead on the side of the road. Number two, Jesus fulfilled the law for me. He loved his father with all his heart. He loved me in place of himself, and he loved by dying. And number three, receiving Jesus' love brings forth the fruit of loving service in us toward others. Pastor Peter Bender is pastor of Peace Lutheran Church in Sussex, Wisconsin. He's also director of the Concordia Catechetical Academy. Peter, thank you. Thank you, Todd. Wednesday on Issues Etc., we'll discuss gray divorce, divorce over the age of 50 with Katie Breckenridge. We'll talk with Pastor Jeff Hammer about the false masculinity of former professional kickboxer Andrew Tate and its media coverage of religion with Terry Mattingly. I'm Todd Wilkin. Thanks for listening. Listen weekday afternoons to Pastor Todd Wilkin and guests on Issues Etc. Issues Etc. is a listener-supported program. Your financial support is vital for the continuation and expansion of this worldwide outreach. Our mailing address, Issues Etc., P.O. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. You can also donate at our website, issuesetc.org. Issues Etc., is a production of LPR, Lutheran Public Radio.